Hi, my name is Ali Vignon, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Niskanen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hi, it's Derek Grant. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're, you're listening, listening to, to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Yes! Welcome into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast. The Players Podcast, the Presidential Podcast, the Prognosticators Podcast, the Pedialyte Podcast, and the Pampers Podcast, the Papa Podcast. Oh yes, very quiet today. A different episode. And why? The baby's here. Yes. Congratulations, Russ. Oh yes, <laughs> very exciting. She is asleep upstairs, first daughter, third child. Very exciting. Very, yeah. very exciting. So it, it, it's so weird. I, I I can't get over the fact that your daughter was born on the same day as my daughter. Twenty years difference. How about it? It's How just, about it? Just, I got a I got a real kick out. Cracks of, me up. I got a kick out of so many things because uh, I remember I was in the hospital room, and hospital policy has changed a lot uh, given the current state of things, and so uh, I got this this message that said, uh, you know, you were tagged in a tweet and I look and it's you announcing. And I'm like, well, hold on. I'm like, I didn't even announce it yet. And he's already announced it. And then he's also wedged in this, how weird is this? This is eerie. I'm like, you know, this guy. So you would have done the same. I don't know if I, well, maybe let me tell you, you, you go get a lady pregnant now at your age. Woo. Ain't happening. I'll tell you something. Um, yes, I will. I'll scream that from the hills. You know why I have three children, Russ? Why? Because I don't want four. There you go. I think we're. I think we're very much in the same. Uh, <laughs> in the same. But as soon as as soon as uh, we had the time to collect ourselves after uh, little Pia was born, my wife was like, "I think three's good. I think we're good now." Yeah. And although you know, I wonder if she would have said that if it would have been a boy. You think so she. So you're lucky lucky she's not listening because she'd have punched you in the head. So she had this whole thing. Uh, I I was pretty confident all along that it was going to be a girl. And she kept saying to me, even as we got closer to the date, and then when we got to the hospital and everything, she's like, "If, if I have this baby and it's a boy and I'm still bleeding and somebody asks me, oh, are you going to try for a girl now? They are also going to be bleeding. So I was like, oh, for the love of all humanity, please. Because it's, it's funny, though. Like, you, you never think about this. And then we'll get into the show momentarily here. But, like, you, when, you, when you become a parent, it's funny how as soon as there's a child, the focus, it's kind of like how, like, in the news cycle, things tend to go negative, right? Like, you skew to the negative, and that's, like, what gets views and everything. Mm-hmm. But a baby is, like, barely born. And like the first thing that anybody asks you is, all right, so when are you going to have a second? It's like, well, can we appreciate the one that's here? You have a second kid. Oh, well, it happens to be the same gender. You're like, oh, well, you know, you're going to try for three. You're going to try for that girl this time. And yeah, if, if we had had three boys and somebody had asked if we were going to try for a girl, that wouldn't have gone well. I think that this is probably a good spot to stop. I think three kids is fine. I think after that, you become it's a good the, number. Uh, the Partridge family. Maybe no. is that... Yeah, that's good. That's yeah, a good number. Okay. I'm trying, yeah. trying, to, trying to connect. All right, so... But, and just let, me, just let me clarify. Sure. I felt, 
empowered to do that because of w- one thing, the way you had been acting all morning prior to uh, her arrival. And it was, you're sitting in, you were in our Slack chat, oh, yeah. just chatting away with everybody. Yeah. You made the announcement in Slack, like before, you know, like within minutes, <laughs> like, like you told us all within minutes that the, like usually like I remember and granted you know, when my kids were born, there wasn't, any kind of social media to share anything on. But, you know, I remember there was texting. And so yeah. at least at that point it was like, all right, well, we'll let the immediate family know, but that's mm-hmm. it. Like we didn't tell anybody right away. We waited until much later. And I'm like, oh, for us is so, you know, openly talking about it, I guess it's cool to go. So. Well, it's weird. Cause our, our Slack chat is kind of like its own weird little family. So I felt like it was kind of <laughs> apropos to, to announce it in there. The funny thing is, though, like, and I, and I think about it, and uh, uh, again, we're going to get into the show here momentarily, but, you know, I think that one of the things that's, uh, that's really a frightening thing. Now, I'm, I'm looking here. I, I waited about 40 minutes because there were some immediate complications uh, that had me really, really scared. And especially if you're, uh, if you are, expecting a child or you're thinking about having a child and and this whole thing is going on there was a a legit fear early on like umbilical cord was wrapped around we had like blood oxygen levels is very very scary immediately after and i thought that this was going to be a trip to the nicu and then my question at that point was well who's going to be able to go with this baby because i had to wear a mask the entire time i was in the room i had to wear a mask the whole time that I would have stayed there up to 24, 48 hours or whatever. Once I left the hospital, I wasn't allowed to come back in. And so I was like, well, can I even go to the NICU? Can I even like look at my child through a plate of glass if if that was a thing? And I saw um, somebody I went to college with recently had a baby and and they had to spend, I think, three or four days in the NICU. It's just a scary thing. It's a very scary thing. So as you're seeing, you know, some good news pop up on the timeline from time to time of, you know, people that you are either close with or tangentially, uh, you know, involved with, even as an acquaintance, if you see people having kids, you know, keep in mind that like, it is a very, very stressful time for them. And uh, if, if God forbid, anybody has a, a kid that has to go to the NICU, you, you know, try to do things that can support them, because it's a, it's a very scary thing. And the hospital policies and everything, it's just, it's kind of wild, but things are good. So we're happy. Um, let's get into the interview that we did. And usually you and I like to do a little bit of uh, a little bit of foreshadowing of what happens in the interview. And I looked back at last week's episode. It was funny because we were like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do the episode for, you know, we'll do like a 15, 20 minutes on either end and, and, and we'll get in and out. And then I got to editing the show and balancing <laughs> the levels. And, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, well, we did an hour plus with Peter Luco. And my wife was out back, still very pregnant. She was out back with our boys and I, and I looked and I saw that she had a text to me that said, hello. And then I looked at the time and when I came outside, I was like, oh, wait a second. We just recorded over an hour on our own. And that doesn't even include the initial conversations that you and I had anyway, uh, just being our goofy selves before and after. So I probably was inside for an hour and a half when I was like, yeah, I'll just be in for a half hour. Now, granted, my wife is smart and she knows that when I say a half hour, she knows I mean, you know, a half hour with anybody else, probably an hour and a half to two hours with you. The only other person who comes close is when Phil Kaidel and I would do an episode of Crossing Broad FC. It'd be like, oh yeah, we'll do, you know, 45 minutes on, on the start of the Bundesliga season, which by the way, I think we are going to do an episode soon because the uh, Bundesliga is clear to return to action. Wink, wink. Uh, and that ends up going like an hour and a half. And Phil and I would get done. I'd be like, I don't know how that happened. 
how how did that happen and it's mostly by the way in that show that's mostly phil breaking down epl games and me just kind of nodding my head and trying to transition to la liga anyway we did this interview with craig baruby this was another one of those clandestine operations that we did not do the show live and I think with some of the guests that we're having, we're doing them at all different times of day and night. So trying to do them live probably wouldn't be that advantageous. What I would con- um, ask people to do to consider doing, uh, always make sure you download the shows because it just helps us with our uh, download numbers and making sure that, um, that we're getting accurate reporting. We switched from Art19 to Megaphone. And Megaphone has, an, uh, has like a function that allows us to do some kind of ads. So we also, you know, the more downloads we have, the better we do there. But uh, when we start to add up all of the listener numbers, the streaming numbers, the download numbers, and then the view numbers of the interviews that we've done and put up uh, live and then even after the fact on YouTube and on Facebook and Twitter, we're, we're well, we are very well off in the many thousands of, of listeners. We're not quite at, you know, the, uh, the tens of thousands, but we're, we're, we're getting there. It's nice. I think people are enjoying these uh, long form interviews. It's actually kind of rewarding in a No, it's way. great stuff. I mean, it, and I appreciate all of them coming on. And, you know, as you know, behind the scenes, like we have a, a series of them, like we're trying to get, in, get to happen. Like, this isn't just yeah. like a, a, you know, one off and then, oh, who's next kind of thing. Like we, we yeah. try, we're trying to get a couple down the road. We have another big one coming. Um, are we going to announce that at the uh, end of the episode? Yeah, do you want to? We can announce. I think we could. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll announce it at the end of the episode. We have another. Or do you want to wait till the end of the week again? Like, wait, I, well, I don't know. I mean, Kyle. It all depends. Is Kyle going to preempt us? Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, like, Kyle went and did the announcement in the middle of last week. We we had it set up. We were going to do Friday. I have to. You know, this is the thing. I guess we should kind of commend the maestro on caring and and about you know giving us yeah. a little bit of a boost there. But uh, yeah, last week we we had gotten done the Craig Baruby interview, and he goes off and. Uh, you know, says, oh, coming off of the Peter Luco interview. Now they've got the Stanley Cup winning coach, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, ah, oh. all right, well, there goes our big announcement for Friday. So yeah, maybe maybe yeah. we should put it out there before uh, we have. Before insanity. Kyle gets to it. <laughs> before he gets to it. So, all right, without further ado, former Flyers coach, current St. Louis Blues coach, Craig Berube. And not only did we touch on his time as a player at, and, and a lot of his time as a coach, he also threw out a prediction about what the return to play is going to look like. And I think that in all actuality, is going to be one of the clips that we're going to put out there to social media to promote this, uh, this episode. But I think some very eye-opening statements about the return to play. So without further ado, here's our interview with Craig Berube. Oh, yes! We'll switch it up a little bit this time. Instead of the finale of Turandot, treating the people to the song of the St. Louis Blues and a very special guest that we've got here on Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, Greg Berube. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It's awesome to have you, Chief. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you were such a beloved figure here in Philadelphia uh, as a player, as a coach. Uh, assistant coach, head coach, um, and uh, I know that we were – I, I never saw a city, this city, get behind another city's team like, the, like Philadelphia did for you guys last year with the Blues. And I think that that all had to do with, you know, with you being, you know, at the helm there and, and being part of such a great story. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, well, I think, too, the, you know, with the players going to that uh, 
um, bar and the, and the song. And, you know, we got some ex, obviously ex flyers on the blues with Braden Shen, myself. So, um, it gave, you know, a lot of Philadelphia people something to cheer for, you know, uh, they're hockey fans and when their team's not in it. And so we kind of were the next team for them. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. You guys, we'll get into it. We'll talk a little bit about uh, last year with the Blues. Um, but one of the things that we do, we've been doing with these interviews is we start way back. So we start at the very beginnings. And one of the fun things I like to do is ask um, the guys who come on the show about where they grew up. Because a lot of you guys grew up in these real small Canadian towns like that people have never heard of. So tell me a little bit about Callahoo, Alberta. Yeah. Well, again, it's it hasn't changed since I left. I mean – there's not much there you know there's an arena general little general store uh some ball diamonds and you know basically you're out of the town like you know i think maybe 85 to 100 people live in the town i grew up on a farm just outside of there a couple miles away uh you know my dad had my dad and uh, mom a lot of relatives you know a lot of people around all the time um and hockey was a big thing growing up obviously um in Canada for everybody. Uh, my dad, my uncles, they were all big hockey guys. And um, so they really got us started into hockey. We were skating on ponds around the farm. We had an outdoor rink at the time. That's where we kind of started playing our, our hockey. Uh, we were taught by our, by our dads and my, and my uncle. They, they're the ones that taught me how to play. And, you know, eventually we got an indoor arena, which is the same rink there today. Uh, you know, which helped and we, you know, that's how we got going in our, in our uh, hockey career. So t- take me through, cause I mean, you ultimately were an undrafted free agent when you came to the Flyers, but how did you kind of get onto the, onto the radar, onto the, onto the map for NHL teams since you were, you weren't drafted? Um, I think just, you know, my third year junior, uh, yeah, it would have been my third year major junior. Really just playing, uh, we started was in Camlos with Ken Hitchcock as the coach and, uh, you know, was playing some pretty good hockey. And I think, you know, just scouts watching and, and um, you know, maybe thinking that I might have an, uh, a chance to, you know, play some pro hockey and, uh, you know, uh, as a certain role, a role player, obviously. And uh, I got traded uh, halfway, uh, maybe uh, halfway through the season to Medicine Hat Tigers. And uh, Russ Farwell was a general manager there. He was pretty tight with uh, the Flyers organization and Bobby Clark. He ended up actually being the GM there at some point um, in the early 90s. But so he had a relationship and they they came out and watched me a little bit and they liked what they saw and they wanted to give me a contract. Had a couple other teams that were interested and and wanted to offer me a contract. Uh, But I eventually chose the Flyers and – you know, it worked out well. Uh, now, let me, so let me, let me just, ask you. Okay. Yeah. I was, no, was going to ask as a follow-up to that was, was the decision to choose the Flyers because they played a style of game that kind of suited the way you, you played or, or what was, what went into that decision to pick the well, Flyers think, over other teams? No, I think there was just um, from Russ Farwell, you know, who I was, I was pretty close with and, and uh, just talking to him about the Flyers organization and, he thought it'd be a better fit for me. And, you know, the, the thought process too was to go to a good team and they were a good team at the time. And the reasoning is that a player like myself 
you can fit into a good team easier, in my opinion. You can you can find a role there and a job that you're you're there for. And that's the way we looked at things. A lot of times you go to an organization or a team that's not so good, they want better players. <laughs> they don't, right. you know, and so for me to play in the NHL, I was going to uh, fit a specific role. And the Flyers were obviously a, a pretty good choice for me. Now, you, you come to the Flyers, I think you started in, in Hershey, right? I mean, that, that was the farm team then, right? It was yeah, Hershey, yeah. right? They were they're already Hershey in Hershey, aren't, right? Um, but you weren't there very long before they gave you a chance to come on. I guess like a year, year and a half, right? Before, and then you made your debut in 87? Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, so less than a year. Okay. Um, uh, I, was, I think I got called up in March. Got called up maybe. in the 86-87 season. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I got called up, played some games. Uh, you know, the, I think Mike Keenan liked what I brought to the team. I think Bob Clark probably would have wanted me to go back down and, and, and play more and, and, and improve my game. But, you know, Mike, again, I talk about a specific job and roles. Well, Mike wanted me there for that job and that role. And, you know, fortunate enough, I, I ended up uh, spending the rest of the season up and the, we went to the finals. Um, and I ended up playing like five or six games in the playoffs, which was a great experience for me and being involved in that team and, you know, really being around a lot of real good veteran players and a lot of real good young players, you know, that I'm still close to, to, to this day, you know, that those type of teams, you, you, you form relationships and uh, remember that for a long time. Now your first game that you got called up was against the Penguins. Do you, do you remember yeah. you had two fights in that game? Do you remember who they were against? I think it was a guy named Dan Frawley, I believe. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, am I right? Yes, I do right. remember that. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, so I you kind of I, I put up a lot of penalty minutes that game and pretty limited ice time. <laughs> well, <laughs> well the... again, I when I I wanted to make you know I wanted to make sure that uh, I was noticed and you know and I, I didn't want to go back down. And I think that that's probably what Keenan like yeah what he really liked about you because that you were well, you were fearless in that regard right well and protecting the better he, players yeah and just you know creating havoc out there and just being aggressive and that was mike you know mike mike uh, as a coach it was always just play hard work hard be aggressive um you know will your way around the ice and you know do something you know that's kind of how how he coached Mm-hmm. Just in the, well, in, I, in, go ahead, Russ. In the macro sense of of your career as a player, you got to play in parts of three decades, which not a lot of guys get to do. Do you feel like some of that and in, in the initial experience in eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine? Did did you learn lessons in those few years that ended up kind of becoming the foundation of of how you would continue to establish yourself through the nineties and even to play significant minutes? Uh, even into the early 2000s? Well, yeah. For, I, I mean, I think those years I learned what I was going to be all about in the NHL and how I was going to play in the NHL and stay in the NHL. And throughout those uh, decades and years, you know, you go through some times where, yeah, does that job get a little old and you kind of pull back a little bit, but then you get going again and you rejuvenate yourself and you got to find a way to, you know, find a way to uh, 
get going again. Otherwise, if you don't, you're probably not going to keep playing. You're going to be out of the league. And I think I just motivated myself that way, and that's how I kept going. And even through the 2000s, you know, going to Calgary for the last couple of years of my career, um, I still kind of – I still was doing the same thing I did in, in, in the 80s. You know, that's, that's how I was going to last and play in the NHL. I want to take you back to you talked about Keenan. We had a couple guys on, you know, who talked about playing for him. Um, and not everybody always has great things to say about what it was like playing for Mike as a coach. Um, I got the sense, though, that, that you didn't mind uh, his the way he coached and you kind of appreciated it a little bit more. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, but in junior hockey, I, I had I had those type of coaches in junior you know, starting when I was 16 years old, you know, so I was already used to it. I understood it. Um, you know, I liked the coach that got on you. It was tough. Um, you know, I think I, I, you know, excelled more, played better under those type of guys. And Mike was, Mike was a hard-nosed coach. And, you know, he let you know it at times. And, you know, he did things that probably, you know, weren't fair at times or you didn't like. But, in the end, you know, he helped me in my career. He gave me a chance to play in the NHL. And, you know, a guy like myself, I need an opportunity. Um, I need somebody to give me a chance, and he gave me an opportunity. It's interesting because, I, 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 you know, I've seen you coach firsthand here in Philadelphia and then from afar, you know, in St. Louis. And I, I think that there are elements to um, the way you coach that are similar but at the, at the same time, you talk to players who've played for you, and they they love playing for you. So, what was it, I guess, in the in the process of of becoming a coach that you sat there and said, "Okay, I know that this will work, but I don't think that you know being as iron handed as tough as maybe as he was is going to work in today's game with today's player." Yeah, well, you got to treat people differently today. We all know that, even in society, you do. You can't just bully your way around and, and think that's going to be, you know, it's going to work or you're going to get the message across. That's not going to work. We all know that. Uh, there is times you got to be tough on players and there's times where you're probably going to say things and I've done it. And, you know, you don't like what you really have done or said, because you know that it, it's probably not right, but you get frustrated, you get angry and, you know, you say things that you probably shouldn't say. But in the end, your players have to understand where you're coming from and they got to, you know, and there's going to be times where they do the same thing. And I think that's, I have that relationship with my players. If I do something like that, they understand what I'm, what, why, um, and we get along. And I, what I do is I bring them in and I talk to them about it and I try to, you know, get my message across to them or I, I try to get, um, I, I try to tell them why this happened or that's happened and really communication is a big thing in a game today and back then it wasn't but in today's game it's really important every player wants to know why um, and I think it's important you have to communicate with your players why you demand this or why we're going to play a certain way um, and I think I do that I think I get my coaches to do it not only myself I get all my coaches to do it and I really hand out a lot of that to my assistant coaches to do a great job uh, with me of that as far as coaching and, you know, you, you, you play for a number of coaches over your career, I think you take a little bit from all of them. Uh, they all, they're all good coaches. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be coaching in the NHL. Um, and you just take little things from each coach and what things have happened. You know, maybe certain things have come up. What does coach do at that time? But in the end, you have your own personality, at least I do. And I still – I do coach my own way. Um, it, it, you know, when I look back at Mike Keenan – 
the, his coaching style was really simple. Okay. It wasn't complicated. And I think that's why I had a lot of success wherever he went. He demanded hard work. He demanded you play hard and he, de- and he demanded that you, you're playing an aggressive style of game. And I think I try to demand those same things with the St. Louis blues. I'm not I don't really, at- sorry. I don't really complicate the game. We play a simple brand of hockey. Uh, we have a philosophy and how we want to play the game. And there's all these systems and all this stuff. But I don't try, we don't try to reinvent the wheel there. But the things that we do do, we play hard. We play physical. We play a team game. Where the team has to be first. Um, and really, I, when I look back on Mike Keenan and, and playing for him and looked at his teams over the years that he's coached, you know, a lot of that same things he demanded. You, it's a team game. The team comes first. You have to work hard. You have to play hard. We want you to be an aggressive player. I'm not, I don't want to jam you up with like a specific example here, but is there a coach that, that you might not have liked at some point in your career that like thinking back on it might have done something, might have tried to implement something, and you're like, man, if I ever become a coach, I never want to do that. But since you've become a coach, you've actually kind of had a moment to think back and go, oh, damn, I'm doing the same thing. Well, I think sarcasm really bothers people and bothers <laughs> players. I'm not kidding. Like, I get a kick out of it, actually, when I think back about some of the sarcasm, uh, you know, coaches and, you know, some coaches that, you know, coach with a lot of sarcasm. But looking back on that, it really bothered players. I mean, bothered them. And so I try not to be sarcastic, you know, to my to the players, especially during a game. I think that's that's not the right time to be sarcastic um, to your players. I don't think they like it. Um, so I really focus, I really try not to do that. That's one area that I think is not, not a good thing. I am, I know I'm jumping forward here. I told you I was going to try and keep it chronological, but you said something yeah. in, the, in the last answer and I, I really want to dive into it here for a second because mm-hmm. it's something that we talk about in season a lot, chief. Um, in that you talked about, you know, the St. Louis blues, you guys want to play simple, aggressive hockey, and just go out and you know play your game. And you talked a little bit about some uh, systems and stuff and whatever, and that's fine. The, there's a big prevalence in the NHL today, and maybe even the, in the AHL as well, um, with, with really kind of focusing on the analytical side of the sport, okay? Mm-hmm. Really diving into numbers and, and details like that. And, and I talked to a couple people who said, you know, yeah, you know, you, you could you could use that stuff. It's good information. It's it's good to, you know for planning and the and and the, and the like. But you know, look at a guy like Craig Berube when he coaches. He's not sitting on the bench thinking about you know <laughs> the the analytics the, the analytics of the sport. He's going to tell you to go play a certain way, and you're going to play that way, and it's going to be successful. Is that fair to say? Are we putting too, do people put too much into the math of of hockey these days? Well, well, you can put too much in any sport with the analytics, but I do believe there is a place for it, and we do use it. Um, you know, but you got for us, we we pick out what analytics we want and what what is useful to us, and we we throw the rest out. That's it. I don't yeah. get too involved in it, um, like you said, but there is some real good ones that we use every day, and you know our players use every day. Uh, that we feel is important to how we play and what's going to help us. And then the rest you could throw out. They mean you, nothing to me. Are you willing to share what like one of those <laughs> well, kind of things um, might be? We're a, we're a puck possession team and we're really, we're really, it's our number one, you know, probably 
thing that we focus on is puck possession in all three zones, especially in the offensive zone. Um, so a lot of the analytics of puck possession is important to us. Um, shot quality, um, you know, everybody says, well, you need, you know, you got to have a high number of shots and, and things like that. But we really don't focus on how many shots we're taking. We look at quality of shots. And on the defending side of things, uh, same type of thing. You know, we're not looking at, you know, how many shots we're giving up. We're looking at the quality, where they're coming from, um, and we try to focus on defending that way. Uh, we, we use analytics on defending our blue line, um, you know, what, what type of uh, rush attacks we're allowing at our blue line. or We're forcing them to dump pucks and things like that. So we just try to take which ones that are really useful for us and we use them. I, I grew up here, Chief, and I was a teenager, uh, my later teens, I guess, when you were when you were playing. Um, and so, you know, I was a I was a Flyers fan growing up. And, you know, I can still remember 1989, you know, Dale Hunter ripping my heart out in game seven against <laughs> yeah. the Flyers with that overtime goal. And I hated them, couldn't stand them. And then I got in 2012, I, I'm working for the Flyers. And, you know, I had to do a, this was during the lockout. And so I was sent up to do a story on Anthony Stolarz. Uh, and they're getting London's getting ready to play in the playoffs. And you said to me, "Hey, when you get up there, say hi to say hi to Dale Hunter for me because you guys are really good friends." And I'm thinking to myself, "I'm going to go say hello to Dale Hunter. I can't stay. I can't never could never stand the guy." And you tell me, "Trust me, he's a, he's as good a dude as there is." So we get up to London, and I was the plane gets in late, and uh, uh, I go to the arena. Um, it was the day of a game, so the players are already gone back to the hotel to to rest or whatever. And I, I figured I got to try and find the coach. And so I knock on the door and he answers it. And he's looking at me like, who, who the hell are you? And then I said, oh, hey, by the way, Chief says to say hello. And he's like, oh, Chief, come right on in. Sat me down, day of a playoff game, sat at his desk for an hour talking talking hockey. One of the yeah. nicest guys ever kind of just, you know, killed, killed the child in me a little bit. But tell me a little bit about your relationship uh, with Dale that you kind of built when you went to Washington and, and then beyond. Yeah, uh, so – yeah, like obviously when I we I, we put you know with the Caps and playing against them with the Flyers, there's a lot of heated moments that went along. That team, uh, their team was you know a hard nosed team. I thought they you know they played us hard. There was a lot of battles, and Dale Hunter was one of them. Game every game, you know you're involved with that guy at some point. Uh, when I first got there, I, I I didn't really like him either, to be honest with you, because all the battles and 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 stuff that went on with him, like there was a lot. So he's he's a tough player and, and played a game that was in your face and that kind of a style of game. <clears throat> but once we got to know each other, you know, when I was there for a while, we ended up uh, actually living beside each other after the first year and became really good friends. Rolled together everywhere, hung out together. Obviously, you know played eight or nine years together there uh ended up playing on the same line for some time when he got a little bit older and went down to the fourth line but uh like you said like the guy you see on the ice and the way he plays the game he plays it full out for sure he plays as hard as game as any player i've seen or played against he gives you everything he's got every night um team guy but off the ice he's one of the best guys you'll ever meet in your life and you know just he's a guy that uh, you want to be around. You want to hang out with. He makes you laugh. He's a funny guy. He's a fun guy. Um, loves the game of hockey. 
I mean, he's doing a great job there with London Knights. Their success rate is ridiculous how good they are and what he's done. And he obviously, you know, coaching the NHL with the Caps there. He almost went to the finals that year, but stepped down. You know, he's, he's a great coach, great hockey guy, and uh, a real good friend. Now, I, I want to uh, take, take you back. You, you, you go, you bounce around the league you, from team to team to team. And towards the end of your career, you come back to Philly. And you're here towards, uh, I guess, that uh, 03 season, or I guess that was when it was. And the story has gotten around. I know you and I have talked about this privately, but there was a story that got around, I think, by JR um, when he put it, wrote it in his book <laughs> about how he sucker punched you on the ice when he was young. And then when he showed up in Philly, that you uh, got him back by punching him out in the locker room. And now, that's, that story has now lived, I guess, for eight or nine years in the public, in the public vein. But I want you to kind of tell the story and, and tell the real story behind it, because I think that a lot of people have a misconception of what really happened. Well, no, I, JR and I went at it on the ice a couple, you know, a couple times for sure, at least. Uh, he was, a, he was, he got in your face as a player, you know, he was a good player, tough player. But anyways, yeah, like, you know, the rest were in there, give me a shot, you know, at the end of the fight or whatever, the scuffle. And so when I came back, I was coaching with the Phantoms and he was down the hall playing still. So I went down there and it was just more of a fun thing, but you know, it was made out a little bit bigger than it was, but <laughs> I told him I'd get him back. You know, I'd give him a little shot, but nothing much. It was more than fun. <laughs> I, I, I never held a grudge or nothing like that. Uh, yeah, no, it was that's... more fun. He's a good guy. He's a friend, you know, uh, Jr. So, you know, I was more just in fun. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And so now, now you, when you got to, when you were with the Phantoms, your last year, I guess you were kind of a, um, player coach with them. And then you ended up being, I guess, in the lockout year is you were assisting Johnny, John Stevens, as the, he was a head coach, you were the assistant coach. Um, what are your, what are your recollections of that? Because to me, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I, if you were, that was the one year that we had no NHL, I was the only writer covering the team. I remember being on a bus with you guys once I felt really uncomfortable and you like reached over, it was new year's Eve. You handed me a beer and said, Hey, there's a bunch more under the seat. If you want a couple, <laughs> um, on the trip between Hershey and Albany. Um, and, and like, it was just, it was a really unique experience. And I, I keep telling people in over as the years go by, how cool that experience was. Because it was such a, it was not just minor league hockey that year. It was it was yeah. almost NHL quality, and it was just a unique time to to be around a team. Yeah, it was for sure. Uh, with that locker, we had we had you know quite a few NHL guys playing, especially young. It was all young guys, right? Yeah. But NHL players, you know, Yoni Pitkin was down there. You know, this guy's an NHL defenseman playing in the in in the minors. Uh, a lot of good teams. There was a lot of good uh, players all over the whole league. It was actually really good hockey. Um, you know, and we we had a real good team. Um, you know, our record was right up there. I think Binning, Bin, Bin, uh, um, there's a couple teams that were a little bit better than us. Um, trying to think who they were now. Um, but probably were a little bit better than us. But at the end of the year, um, from junior, we got Richards and Carter. That made us a great team. And I think that was the difference. We went on to win that year and win the championship. But I think, you know, adding Richards and Carter put us over the top. Uh, they came in, they played excellent hockey for us. For the kids coming out of junior hockey, they're good players. And that, you know, excelled us. and We ended up winning the championship. So, But the hockey was really good, like you said. They had a lot of good, you know, 
real good young players in the league that would have been in the NHL if the NHL was going. Um, you know, you got everybody watching. And I remember we played the finals against Chicago. I think we had 20,000 people in. Yes, uh, it was, yeah. would have been Wells Fargo at the time, I guess, right? Uh, <clears throat> center. So, you know, it was it was great. It was a lot of fun. I was I was part of that team. So, I had a, you know, it was a great learning experience for me and to win a championship. Uh, you know, Johnny Stevens was uh, great to me, gave me an opportunity to be an be a assistant coach with him. And uh, and then the coach real some real good players at uh, a young, you know, a young coaching age for me. And, and go ahead, Ross. I, I want to take you a little bit off the beaten path for a second and get into coaching philosophy a little bit. So twice in your career, you've had to come in without the benefit of camp. You've You've been an assistant and then resume or took over the the team once with the flyers now once with the blues as a guy who was undrafted who had to scrap for everything in his career i wanted to get a feel for if you feel that you are more drawn to guys that that you almost see like a little bit of yourself in those kind of undrafted guys or, or guys who really have had to scrap and claw and if maybe in that transition from being the guy who takes over in an interim capacity to then actually having camp and having more influence over the roster. If you find yourself trying to fight for those guys to get up to the NHL level. Well, I don't know if I'm really drawn to those type of guys. I like, you know, obviously every, I think everybody likes a hardworking player. I'm not sure I'm the only guy, but you know, you got your, your player, you like players that work hard and give you everything they got. That, that you, you know, every, every coach likes those type of players. You know, I think that, um, I've taken over a couple teams, unfortunately, at bad times where we're not winning or there's a lot more there. And I think the problems that, for me, when you take over a team like that, and when I, when I take over a team, I go, what is the problem? That's the first thing I'm asking myself. What's the problem here? And usually the problem, and it has been in these two incidents uh, with uh, the Flyers and then St. Louis is – we're not playing like a team on the ice. That's the bottom line. You have good players. Both teams that have taken over had good players. Um, but when you're not playing together as a team, you're not going to get the results that are needed. So I fix them problems. That's the first thing I do. I don't even go to systems. I don't change systems. I fix the, in, the locker room issues. Because if you don't fix those first, you're never going to go anywhere anyhow. You could maybe have a good season, but you won't win. You'll never win. If you play for each other and a team's first and you play hard hockey, you have an opportunity to win. So we fix those problems first and then we go on from there. As far as types of players I like, I mean, you know, I look at our team in St. Louis and, you know, we have some real good hockey players there. I don't think we have so-called superstars, except, you know, I'd say Tarasenko is probably the biggest superstar on our team. But we have real good players that play the game the proper way, uh, both ends of the ice. And if you, you're asking me what type of player I like, that's what I like. I like players that play both ends of the ice, um, you know, that are sacrificed for the team. Now, uh, going back, we're staying, staying with the coaching stuff here, Chief. Um, you know, you uh, come up as an assistant uh, after Hitch, Hitch is fired with Johnny, and then you go back down, you become the head coach of the Phantoms for a few years before you get brought back up as the head coach of the Flyers um, in 2013, I guess that was. Um, when you're looking back at it, do, do, you, do you ever sit there and say, man, I wish I would have had a longer opportunity 
than than you were given? I mean, because you had the the strike shortened year and then like one other year, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, for sure. I didn't want to leave here. I mean, I I you know coached my whole career in the Flyers organization. Um, I really liked our players. A lot of our players, I really liked. Do we, yeah, do we have to make some improvements? Um, you know, a goalie. You know, our goaltending wasn't good enough for sure. We all know that. Um, you know, adding some, getting some young defensemen in there, and and just improving the team. But for sure, I would have liked a, uh, more of an opportunity to try to build something here, and, and uh, you know, eventually go on to win something, right? But that's the way it goes. You know, you know, right. in this town, if you don't make playoffs, there's an opportunity. You could probably could get fired. Uh, they got little patience. This town's got little patience. And, you know, this, the team itself has little patience. So that's the way it works. I don't want you to burn any bridges. Um, when, when you get relieved of your duties, and, and obviously coaching, it's, it's practically a fraternity in the NHL. Like, I assume that you guys talk. As – as you're relieved of duties, is there a, a moment like I have to think that as that happens, there's a a realization that it's not all on you as the coach, right? Like and and anytime a coach gets fired, fans are like, well, you know, the players didn't do X, or maybe the coach wasn't equipped with the kinds of players he wanted. Is it fair to say that anytime a coach gets let go, there I, I don't know, maybe there should be a little bit more of an onus on looking up, looking above the coach and above the players that, you know, a coach maybe should have a little bit more say over their roster than, than some situations would kind of indicate. Yeah, well, I think that uh, that's a tough call because as a coach, um, you, you do have some say over players or – you know, maybe some trades that could be made and the GM will bring you in and talk to you about that. Or, you know, you know, there's certain incidents where you do have some say, but you know, the draft and all that stuff like that, that's hard for a coach to, uh, you know, watch junior players, college players and things like that. So you're not really going to have much say in, in what players get drafted because you just don't have the time to watch these guys and, and to make decisions on them. It's just not going to happen. Uh, whether it's on video or tr trying to go watch them live. But you do have some say on, you know, trades or, that are made or, you, hey, uh, a GM could call you in and ask you, what do you think about this guy? Do you think we should trade for him? What do you think of him as a player? But, um, you know, I think, you know, that year in Philadelphia, we didn't do anything. You know, we, we weren't – I didn't think we were good enough from the get-go, um, but we didn't try to do anything to improve the team. I think that they were – they were okay with not making playoffs maybe or maybe just getting in and losing out right away. They want to rebuild the team, get some younger uh, players and, you know, from the draft, which they did. And, and if you look at their team now, they got a good hockey team, and it's from the draft, you know, the goalie and that, the defensemen, some of the forwards. Now they added, went out and added some free agents, and they got a good hockey team. So it just takes a little bit of time to uh, rebuild it, you know. Uh, catching me up to the to the final season, I know we got to wrap things up here with you, Chief. But um, I, I want to get to the. I, I want to take you back to when you took over the Blues and and this, the situation that the Blues were in at the time. It was not very good. I mean, the team was last place. Looked like it was going to be one of the worst teams in the league, and that's I think what made your story so awesome last year. What was your thought about where the team was at that point? And did you did you 
feel like you could get it I mean, to the point where you suddenly became a Stanley Cup contender, not even let alone be a champion, but to get back into the playoff mix and, and really make a push. Did you have that feeling that that talent was there? Well, I, if we had, I thought we had some real good players. I think we added some new players that year, Ryan O'Reilly, Bozak, Maroon. Um, you know, there's a couple other guys, I believe, too. That So we had a lot of new players that came in. I think there was a real issue with where everybody fit in and the roles. And, you know, the team was never – the team was never looked at. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we, mm-hmm. the players weren't looking at the team. They are looking at themselves, where they fit in, um, you know, with all the new players and things that went on. So, for, for me and the coaching staff, like I said, we had to fix the locker room. We had to get everybody on board where we had to start looking at the team first. And once we started to do that – and that started in December, believe it or not. And I know we weren't winning enough hockey games. Um, we brought in Bennington, and he was up there for a while. I never played him very much um, at all. I played Jake Allen quite a bit. And then Bennington and I had a talk. I threw him in that Philly game. He won. And then, obviously, we kept winning. And that really created a lot of confidence in our team that we needed at the time to win hockey games. I think our team was – you know, solid, like through the month of December, we were solid, we were together, we were trying to do the right things. We just couldn't come up with enough wins. But Bennington brought that confidence, um, not only to the team, like to everyone, including Jake Allen. And then both goalies were rolling, and we just went on a roll for, you know, six months or five, six months and ended up winning the cup. And then even this year, we've been, you know, playing great hockey the whole season. Um, you know, both goalies are playing great. And again, it's, it's just that putting the team first mindset, I think is a big part of it all. And once we got that, we we're on a roll. Are we going to come back chief? What do you think? Yeah, I think we are. I do believe that they're going to come back with some sort of a format. Um, you know, personally, I just think it's playoffs. I don't think you play out the rest of the regular season. I know they're, uh, you know, that's something that's got to be debated a little bit because you got some teams right on the bubble there. Um, but they'll figure it out, and I do believe that we will come back this year and, and finish it out. Well, that's I wanted awesome. to ask, just, just really quick, so assuming that you're right and assuming that it's just playoffs, where you guys are right now uh, in the standings, I guess it, it's not the most impactful on you but for a team that might be a, a fringe team, like I look at Nashville and Vancouver have played two fewer games than, than your team has. Do you think that, that the proposal of going to a points percentage as a way to, to rank the teams, to make sure that it's kind of level, you know, playing ground is fair. There have been ideas thrown out about going retroactive to the, the 69th game or 68th game or whatever the minimum amount of games played were. Or do you think it's just, hey, we lucked out, we got a couple extra games in, and let's just do it? Well, I think that they'll come up with a format of adding more teams to the playoffs. That's what I believe. Okay. You know, there is some fringe teams that are right there, like you said, and points percentage comes into play. So you can add some teams into the playoffs. They can have some sort of a little round robin maybe, anything like that. Um, they're going to have to change it up somehow to make it fair, and I agree with you with that. How would you feel some- about it? How would you feel about a first round bye? 
if they do that the Robin at the bottom, would you would yes. you be happy? Well, that, with that? Um, you know, yes and no. And the reason I would say no is, well, you, the teams are going to be playing already games, and you're not. And they're and teams that are going to play games are going to be more prepared than you are because we've been off a long time. You can practice all you want. You can scrimmage within yourselves as much as you want, but it's not the same as playing a game. So, you know, that's, that's going to be tricky that one. Well, chief, listen, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, all the best to you. Hopefully uh, we get back out there sooner rather than later. So we don't have to do any more of these zoom calls and, uh, (laughs) and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to see you down the road. We were looking forward to having you come into the building. Obviously that's probably not going to happen now, but, uh, uh, hopefully we'll get to see you down the, well the Stanley Cup final. Come on, Anthony. Yeah, Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Flyers Blues. There we go. That would be fun. Good. The Flyers are good this year. <laughs> that would be fun. So, that would be fun. Yeah. Well, well I appreciate Chief, you having me on, guys. Yeah, thank you for your time. We really do appreciate it. You got it. Take care. All righty. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the interview with Craig Berube. Hope you enjoyed it. The, the man that Anthony kept calling Chief, I, I never felt comfortable to call him Chief. <laughs> I had a relationship with the guy. I mean, he offered you so beer on a, on a team bus. Come on. Let me dive into that. I really wanted to kind of get into that. I, I, I really flubbed it when I was talking about that in the, inter- in the interview. So what had happened was is that um, I had this idea that it would be kind of neat because when you're in the minors, traveling in the AHL is a lot different than traveling in the NHL. Um, in the AHL, you travel by bus everywhere. Um, the players carry their own equipment. Like there's no – you know, it's not like the NHL where you're chartering a plane and you have a crew that handles all your equipment for you and whatever. Um, so it's, it's a different environment. So my, I pitched to my editor at the time and said, hey, what do you think about this as a story? And he said, yeah, that would be kind of cool. So I went to the Phantoms and I said, what do you think? Can I embed myself with you guys for a road trip? And they agreed to do it. And it was um, Philly to Hershey, Hershey to Albany, Albany back to Philly. All right. So it was, it was over a course of three days, but it was over New Year's. So the game was New Year's Eve in Hershey. And they, and the Phantoms were a better, much better team than the Hershey Bears were. Um, and Hershey flat out beat them, like beat them good in Hershey on New Year's Eve. It was a terrible performance. The players were miserable. John Stevens, the head coach, he was he was ticked at that, you know, at the way his team had played. And the original plan was that I was going to sit with John on the bus and we were going to go over the game and he was going to show me all the video and this and that. And he was in no mood for it. And so John said to me, he said, Hey, listen, he says, you know, we have a five hour bus ride here. He said, you know, I'll talk to you at some point, but let me sit here and kind of go over the game. I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So I kind of sat across from him in another seat and I was by myself. Chief was right behind me. And so I'm kind of sitting there and like, you could tell it's real quiet on the bus. And I know that these bus rides are usually a lot more rambunctious and I'm, and I'm like kind of looking around and I'm getting the sense that the players feel uncomfortable with the fact that I'm on the bus. And I'm like, all right, well, this is really not going to become a good story. It's um, until something like, you know, livens up. And at that point, like, I'm kind of like looking around and I'm like, all right, this is awkward. And that's when Baruby hands me a beer (laughs) and he goes, Hey, there's a whole case under your seat if you want some more. And so, like, I started talking to him. And that's when I really got to know him as a guy, as a, as a person. And remember, he's, he's a year out from like, the year before. He was a player coach, right? So mm-hmm. this is his first season not as a player. Um, and it's only, you know, what, three months into his coaching tenure, really. Um, so I got to talking to, to Chief. And then I can still remember um, somebody put uh, – I don't know which one of the players, but one of the players – 
put um, Napoleon Dynamite on as the movie to watch in okay. the bus. And I remember Shel Samuelson going absolutely crazy. Like he hated it. He couldn't stand really? it. And so then like he, he forced them to turn it off. Like it, like, I don't know, I don't, maybe a half hour into the movie cause he wow. hated it that much. So they change it and they go and put on the trailer park boys. You ever seen the trailer yeah. park boys? Yeah. So they put that on and then, and then shell was just like, maybe he was F bombing out the wazoo. Like this is the really? one what do you guys, you guys played like, like shit. Now you're going to watch shit on TV. Like he was, it was great. He was the assistant coach at that, the other assistant coach at that time. And it really kind of lightened the mood from that point forward. So now I'm having beers with Baruby. Samuelson's freaking out at the guys about what they want to watch on TV after they played terribly. And like the bus ride kind of became now it's new year's Eve and we're going to enjoy ourselves. So that was kind of like a real indoctrination for me into, you know, the, the, locker room culture or the, you know, the team culture. Um, and I really got to, that's when I first really got to know chief, uh, on a one-on-one level. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a really memorable fun time. And then they went to Albany and they kicked the Albany's tail uh, on new year's day. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a, that was kind of a neat thing as well. That's neat. Um, I don't want to belabor any points that we've got, but I, I do think that his, his thoughts on the playoff return, uh, is, is interesting. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't matter as much for him, Obviously, and that's kind of why I wanted to focus on the fringe teams because his his team is the best team in the West, and so there's you know very clearly you know an an advantage to to him having you know the season end like it did with his team at the top, but you know once again his team also I believe had played the most games of any team in the Western Conference. So I thought even his thoughts on point percentage were were interesting. Um, I will be interested to know from people if they think that he was being 100% forthright. I think he was. Like, I, I do think that he genuinely believes that that's, that's the way that things are, are going to go. But as we've heard through, you know, multiple player um, conference calls, as we've heard from Chuck Fletcher, as we've heard from Elaine Vigneault, it, things have changed on, on the fly consistently for the last few weeks. And so until we get a return to camp, which I think is going to be interesting, there's really no way to know for sure how this is going to go. The one thing that I do want to put out there is I think the NHL dropped the ball in one, one real vantage point or in, in one real arena. And that's, I think they should have tried to be the first sport back. And I knew that UFC was going to do whatever they could do. And you're going to have like pro wrestling companies. I think we, we said last week, like AEW and WWE, like, you know, making things work in Florida. I think for the NHL, this was a missed opportunity. MLB is going to be back. And you know, sure, it's, it's easier to do this in, in an outdoor setting. It's easier to convince the public that there's a, a lower likelihood of there being transmission. Fine. But I think that the NHL should have tried to get ahead of MLB. And I think at this point now, it's a race against the NBA. because I don't, I don't think it's a race at all, Russ. What if I tell you that the NHL is willing to push this even further? They're willing to wait even longer. I kind of got a sense. I talked to somebody um, yesterday, and it was that they're willing to even push it to September, October, if it means they're able to get people in the building. I just, and again, it's because it's because hockey, more than the other sports, r- relies on uh, gate the gate income, revenue, yeah, you know, gate revenue, right? So, um, so like, I think that that's. That's not to say it w- that they won't start before September. I think that there's still a real possibility they do the hub thing. I mean, that, the hub thing mm-hmm. seems to be the most 
thing, the thing that's catching on the most, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I do think that there is a possibility that if they are pushed beyond that, that they will say, well, let's just wait. We will finish this season, yeah. September, October, if it means we can get 5,000 people in the building. I don't like it at all. Well, you might not like it, but I think I, that that's I, a reality. I, I just don't think it's mm, – I'd rather than play – you know, it's funny because as a, as a pro wrestling fan, watching empty arena shows has been horrendous and has not been must-see TV. Um, but I think about the, the ability to go out and reach the fan or, or reach the, the casual fan or reach somebody who otherwise wouldn't care about your sport and try to get a little bit of buy-in from them. Obviously, sports betting is going to be big. Our show is always sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook, who we, we love and appreciate. Use the promo code CROSSINGBROAD when you sign up. Uh, I think that you're missing out on a – I get the gate revenue is a thing, but okay, let's say you push it back to September, October, and then the regulations don't change. And now you've blown multiple months with the hope that you're going to get people in the buildings, and then guess what? You still can't. Now you've missed out on that opportunity to be one of the only shows in town through the end of the summer. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a very calculated risk that they have to take. I don't know what they're going to do. And, you know, I think you and I are up against it in terms of time for, uh, for doing the show now. But I think it will be a, a topic that we might dive into a little bit more next week. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll, say that, I'll say one final thing here. I, I do think that they'll, they will, if they can come back early, even without fans, I think they will. Um, I, I was just making the point that that they might like they that, that they've, they would, that they've entertained the idea of pushing that back. they are entertaining the idea of waiting. I guess that the, the big risk there is what if we get a second wave of coronavirus and yep. you can't come back in September, October. Now you're talking about impacting two you're, seasons. You, not yeah, just you're one. vacating. You're vacating the end. That's why the hub is that's why the hub is the best idea. But it's yeah. it's a logistical nightmare. But guess what? That's why these people make as much money as they do to try to figure this stuff out. There's gonna have to be a hit regardless. Even on gate revenue, what are you gonna do? The every other section, the every other row, the every third seat thing that we've been, you know, we've seen talked yeah. about with with baseball, with football. I don't know. But we'll get into it a little bit more next week. But before we head out, we have a five star review. Yes. Um, you know, we read like what, four or five last week, I think, from uh from yeah. Apple Podcasts. This week, we have one over on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash snowthegoalie. This one's from Lee Carra- uh, Carrasso, or Carrasso, I don't know. Uh, Peter Luco interview was very informative. The insight into the Carter and Richards trade was good. The assumption of the trade because they were part, uh, the assumption of the trade because they were party boys. And given the value received for both players, it was a pure hockey trade. I was sorry to see them go, but the return was great. That was a five-star review. Oh, that's so very thank nice. you. Thank, Thank you, Lee. you very much. So we're up to eight reviews on our Facebook page that are five cool. stars. We love that. Had somebody DM us today um, proposing an idea for a series of shows that we're going to have to consider. So uh, we'll do that. And the person said that they're going to uh, leave a five-star review as soon as they get off of work. So <laughs> don't forget, though, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review there, and share the show with everybody you know. So yeah, that was a little rhyme. Pretty proud of that. Are we good. announcing next week's guest now? Yeah, I guess we can. So we had Coach Craig Baruby this week. We like coaches. Coaches are fine. Coaches are cool. Anthony, next week's guest is former Flyers coach Ken Hitchcock. Hey, hey. I I just want him to say Robert Esch's name for 20 minutes because <laughs> I just loved listening to him go, "Oh, Eschy." Eschy. I just Eschy was like my favorite thing about Hitch. That's Hitch, it. Hitch I don't need anything be, else. I just Hitch need, will be oh, 
I guarantee you will be an awesome interview because he was, he, he's retired now. He's done. Right. So he's going to, he's going to just, he'll, he'll tell some it. good stories. He'll, he'll tell them. some good he'll stories. Burn it down. Yeah. By the way, we didn't get into this here. I think we'll get into it again a little bit next week, but how did you, did, did you have a thought and we got to keep this one short, but how about uh Craig Berube shading Ron Hextall in the interview? Yes. Which, he did. Uh, I think that might end up being a post. I think you and I are going to collaborate. Yeah, it should be. I mean, you know, he basically sat there and said that, you know, the team was rebuilding and didn't necessarily want to win um, while he was the coach. Um, You guys heard it. I mean, he said it here, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago. Um, And and, and that's that's pretty damning. damning. Yes. (laughs) Look at that. We're in sync. We're in sync. Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit more, I think, next week. And uh, hopefully the baby is a little bit more settled. We can do a longer show. But I think this was solid. We got, we got in, we got out. And now for all the people who had the two-hour episode, maybe haven't even finished the two-hour episode yet, don't worry. You get you a shorter back and finish that, and you get yep. a little bit of a shorter episode this week. Uh, if anything breaks, if there's any new, new developments in the hockey world, we'll be sure to put together a show, and we'll hop back on. We might do a, a live show coming up again soon. We'll stream and take some questions live. I think that'd be fun. So. Yeah. Uh, but this is the other real quick thing. We broke into the top six for uh, hockey podcasts on Apple Podcasts. We five. We got up to number five. Got up to number five on Did Thursday. We? Yeah, on Thursday. The day, the day. I texted it to you. You must have missed it in all the texts that you got when Pia was born. Oh, but the yeah. day the baby, I said, you know, not only, not only are you a proud papa for the third time, but now look, you're a co-host of one of the top five hockey podcasts in the United States. <laughs> That's wild. So we got to the top five there. Yeah. We've, um, we've been trending in four different countries uh, in their sports podcasts and in hockey podcasts. Uh, including Canada, which has a bajillion hockey podcasts. That's pretty cool. Sweden, where English isn't the first language, and we're still in the top 50 there. We are charting in Australia. <laughs> Can you figure that one? No. <laughs> I, I don't understand we have that. Our friend, but... we, have, we have multiple friends in Scotland, yeah. including one who, uh, Danny, who left a review last week. So listen, all I'm saying is we're taking over the country. We're taking over the world. Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, Players Podcast, Prognosticators Podcast, PropCast, Cast, BarubaCast. Listen, <laughs> the only Flyers podcast. Thanks for cho- tuning in. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter at AntSanPhilly, at JoyOnBroad at Snow the Goalie, facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. For Anthony, I'm Russ. Talk to you next week.